What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All of the Above Podcast Extra. As you know, we like to drop these in between our full episodes. It's been a minute since a full episode because somebody, somebody decided to travel, go gallivanting around the globe, but that somebody is back. And our next full episode will hit you next weekend. We have a super dope guest, Dr. Charlie Camp, super phenomenal, phenomenal educator who is going to talk to us about after school, out of school programming and equity issues inherent in the uh, differences between what young people have exposure to when they come from higher income backgrounds versus lower income backgrounds or live in black and brown areas where the out of school extracurricular stuff isn't as high quality and things like that. A whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of stuff, but that's next week. This here is Passing Period, which we drop in between our full episodes. My name is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and Mr. Traveler over here, Mr. Uh, Passport Stampin. Um, Jeffrey Garrett is is with us today. I don't see a nice, lovely beach in your background this week, <laughs> Jeff. So yeah, I guess you're back with the regular folks. Yeah, I'm back with the regular folks in rainy, uh, wintry Southern California, apparently. I don't, I don't know what happened, man. I leave for three weeks, and there's snow everywhere, and and yeah, man. <laughs> it's gray and cloudy and cold. What's going on, <laughs> man? It's March. It's supposed to be perfect weather here. No, nah, you're right, man. This is, um, this is different. This is very different. And actually, like, when that snow hit... Man, it was so beautiful. Like, you know, I teach up in Pasadena and, you know, the San Gabriel Mountains right there. They're just all just covered in snow. It was really bizarre and beautiful also. But, yeah, we need it, you know, drought and all that stuff. Except now we're getting so much rain at the same, like, in such a, a like, all at the same time that I guess there's a lot of flood danger and problems being caused by it. But, yeah, man, climate climate uh, catastrophes and, you know, extreme changes and all that, I guess that is the the way of the world nowadays but welcome back man welcome back i'm glad you had uh successful travels and you know i'm glad we we're able to record this one without that 15 hour difference although you got to be dealing with massive uh jet lag or whatever they call it because 15 hour time yeah. difference man that's wild yeah no it's it was definitely the it still is in some ways because i'm still feeling it a little bit but uh that was the most powerful jet lag experience I have ever had by leaps and bounds, man. I for, for like a day and a half, I just felt like out of it, honestly. Like, I, I think I was talking, we were talking earlier, and I was like, you know that feeling when you take a nap too long, you know, and you wake up and you like don't know if it's today or tomorrow, and you're like your mind is just foggy. Yeah, I felt like that for yeah for like about a day and a half and now today i think i am starting to feel more normal um but yeah that was that was not i wasn't expecting it because on the way there the jet lag really wasn't very bad at all like i you know the day i arrived i got to the hotel like late afternoon you know i stayed up for a couple hours got something to eat and then i just went to bed and like slept overnight and you know, I was a little off, but like pretty much normal, like the next day. And this one, man, it just it it jumped up and bit me, man. <laughs> man, I, I I did not know that that's. I haven't. That is by far the most time zones I've traveled across. I think, um, you know, I've gone to Europe before, and that was like six hours ahead, or maybe seven hours ahead, uh, where I was um, of New York, where I was living at the time. 
And then I, and then so probably Hawaii had been the farthest because I went to Hawaii when I was living in New York, and it's like nine hours behind or ten yeah. hours behind maybe, and so that was the furthest. But this like fifteen hour thing, and then you know you cross the international date line. So my flight back, I flew through the Philippines. So I left mm. the Philippines at eleven a.m., eleven thirty a.m., and I landed in L.A. the same day at eight. 30 a.m. <laughs> like, That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> After a 13-hour flight, you know, and it's like, okay, I don't know how this works, but here I am, I'm back, and I feel like trash. <laughs> so, um, but all that said, it was an incredible experience, amazing experience, uh, you know, life-changing in, in many ways, and um, just grateful for the you know, the opportunity to, to be able to do that. Yeah, man. No, again, happy to have you back, but also like, yeah, that sounds like it was such an amazing trip and yeah, man, like, you know, you still got some sabbatical left and you still have, have more time, which is, which is absolutely phenomenal. And I don't think you have another, um, 15 hour time difference situation coming up, but we will have some, you know, all of the above, um, episodes coming back and and coming at everybody but yeah man keep keep up that uh taking care of yourself and enjoying your sabbatical and all that stuff because trust me out here in these education streets man things are still stressful and it's all too much and it's all so depressing and all of that so <laughs> take as much time away as you can man word <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so um, as we record this, it is March 11th, 2023, and we are at, pretty much, we're at that three-year mark. I'm not even going to call it an anniversary because anniversary tends to be something worthy of celebration, and this is not something to celebrate. But Jeff, I distinctly recall March 13th, 2020, which was around the last time we recorded in our studio, I say our studio, in the studio that we used to use to record this show. And that is precisely when everything fell apart in terms of our um, understanding of the world at the time, because that is when the lockdowns started. And that was the last time we recorded together in person. And Quite a lot has changed in those three years since COVID hit the United States school system and shut everything down. A lot has changed, but it has been three years. So before we get into today's story, which is going to be a um, really interesting story about how the um, so-called quote unquote culture wars, which are not culture wars, they're more attacks on our humanities and on the truth, how they're impacting students' college decisions. Before we get to that, Jeff, I think it might be... Um, worthwhile to sort of reflect on this three-year mark since COVID hit the U.S. school system, man. I'm, I'm thinking back to that last time we were recording in the studio. I believe it was the first time we had a guest on via Zoom. We had two guests on, uh, phenomenal guests, actually really phenomenal guests. Uh, we had Dr. Travis Bristol and Dr. Misha Mosley on uh, from the Black Teacher uh, Project to discuss um, diversifying the teacher workforce and two uh, really phenomenal guests, but they joined us remotely and you and I were in the physical studio and we're, you know, sweating about trying to get the technology right and, and Zoom and how's that work and how are we going to do all that? And then 
everything fell apart and we have been zooming on all of the above since then three years jeff man can you believe it yeah yeah no i it is uh it's kind of mind-blowing how much time has passed and how little time has passed given how it has felt um and honestly manuel i was like uh just trying to find a little bit ago covid data you know and and i just thought it would be important on the on this occasion you know kind of remembering the time when like our whole world sort of came to a standstill and um, schools closed we were hustling to uh you know to depending on the school because this was at least here in la this was of course the pre one-to-one -one devices for every kid face so certain schools that were like privileged or had a good partnership with microsoft or something they might have had one-to-one -one chromebooks but a lot of schools didn't and so they were making packets photocopying packets for two weeks to send kids home with work and like and we were and we thought that was like maybe overly cautious because we might just it might just be a few days and we'd be back next week or whatever right like think of the naivete right. that, <laughs> that we had they were like yeah hey, you know Man. whatever a couple days oh two weeks you know we'll be back well we'll be back in april and then we weren't um so you know you just think of the the level of disruption and honestly i wanted to try to find the data manuel and the best i can find uh is a projection that we are are about 1.1 million and of course going up slightly at this point but nonetheless going up um deaths confirmed deaths from COVID-19 or from you know maybe more accurately the SARS-CoV-2 um you know, that's a mind-boggling figure to try to wrap our heads around, right? That three years ago, yeah. there were more than a million people with us who, you know, might otherwise still be with us. Now, in fairness, especially in the early days, many of those people were maybe some of the most sick already among us um, who maybe didn't have long. Nonetheless... The number of schools that lost teachers, the number of um, kids who lost parents, grandparents, you know, caregivers of different sorts. Yeah. Um, you know, I think sometimes when we when we talk now and we're like, oh, we're getting back to normal, we're post-pandemic, we're, you know, we use these terms that like we, we sort of use because conversationally they help, even though we also are like, oh. It's not really true. We're not really post-pandemic. Like folks are still out here getting COVID. Um, you know, there's there's a human aspect to things that I think we're not that great as a country at uh, at dealing with, and especially because of how things were politicized around the pandemic. You know, with mask mandates and vaccine deniers and all this kind of stuff, um, that maybe we have shied away from some of the things that you know would have been important as a more civilized society that we aspire to be uh to to help us process and deal with the grief and the loss and you know these sorts of things and i think school communities for a lot of people have been the been a place where some of that can happen right 
Um, but also, you know, virtual school made that difficult in a lot of spaces. And, you know, school is good in these ways for some things, but not for others, right? It's not, it's not actually a family, even though we try to bring some family dynamics to, you know, to a school setting. So, uh, so I guess I just want to, you know, all that to say, I just want to kind of call out, um, and, and remember the people who have been lost, uh, you know, over these last three years and the, you know, the effect that that's had on kids, on families, on communities, and by extension on, on schools. Yeah, man. And I'm glad you, you point that out because that's such a, you know, I, I haven't heard really a whole lot of discussion around this three-year mark. Um, and, you know, there's various reasons for that. For one, I might not have been paying attention. Maybe I missed it. But um, also, it's just, it's all been so much. It's all been so much that it's kind of like, you know, I kind of hesitate to even like really deeply reflect on it, but it's so important to remember just all that. I mean, in terms of, of lives lost, like all that was lost. Like, I think it was, you know, a few folks have, have expressed a sentiment. Uh, I think I first came across it via a poem by Clint Smith, but this whole idea of like, we've come a long way or like we made it through it. And, and the importance of remembering that, like, not everybody is here with us, uh, who was here with us at the start of that. Not everybody has made it or not everybody was part of this coming a long way since then because a lot of folks were lost along the way. So uh, definitely want to, um, you know, just share nothing but love and, and, and support for everybody, all of our AOTA family, all of our listeners, viewers who who lost somebody or and who have been impacted by really the most horrendous part of the, of the entire experience, which is lives lost and families um, families dealt very difficult blows and a lot of that uh, grief and a lot of that uh, processing that a lot of that is still ongoing for sure and of course the pandemic itself is still ongoing like it's still COVID still out here in these streets uh, impacting people and we are still not even clear at all about the long-term impact of of you know long COVID and and um, just all the different ways that that COVID impacts our our bodies so so yeah you know this is <laughs> we are I don't think it'll ever be over. Like, I, I, you know, I don't think there'll ever be a moment where we could fully and accurately say, like, it's done. Um, this is just, you know, something that will continue to carry with us in, in one way or another. But yeah, three years, man, it's just, um, yeah, it, it's hard to wrap my head around it. And just as an educator or as educators and, um, you know, thinking about the impact on the school system specifically, like so much has changed. And when I think about it, it just seems like such a missed opportunity and you know because it was kind of a double whammy right it was the lockdown of course and then in may like the episode that i was just talking about that we the last episode that we filmed in person in a studio we didn't release that until may you know we were trying to figure ourselves out and we didn't have equipment we didn't have there's a lot that we lacked at the time because of course you know the pandemic caught us caught us off guard so we recorded in march but it didn't release till may and uh, we were talking about diversifying diversifying the teaching force but you know like Three weeks after that episode posted, that was uh, the, the murder of George Floyd and then the beginnings of what was being called at the time a, a racial reckoning in that double whammy of pandemic and the um, um, events of summer of 2020. You know, it just seems like looking back on it, such a missed opportunity uh, you know, in terms of the pandemic, such a missed opportunity for our school system to really reimagine itself and i remember when that was like you know a lot of folks are just now we're just then starting to to use 
terminology like that, like this as an opportunity to reimagine what school looks like. But then the the you know so-called racial reckoning that wasn't a reckoning at all, and just the missed opportunity of really doing something um, to address just all of the uh, problems associated with white supremacy in the United States. And you know, uh, since then, a whole lot of a whole new industry has emerged. This the whole DEI industry, and there's a lot of folks out there getting paid for um, for efforts that may or may not be uh, related to actually doing anything with regards to dismantling white supremacy. But our show has been been on it since way before that. And just looking back, I'm like, man, it's we really had a chance, man. We really had a chance at that time to it, with that double whammy of pandemic and the um, 2020 protests, like to really, really reshape our school system in a way that really did center um, humanity and really did um, empower our students and our educators and folks to really do something tangible and meaningful with regards to the ongoing impact of of racism and bigotry and hate throughout our throughout our nation but also within our school system so yeah, man, missed opportunity, especially as I think about this story that we're about to talk about. Like this story that we're about to talk about is just like, damn, man, it's gotten so bad. Like it's just gotten so, so bad. And we really had a chance. We really had an opportunity to come together as a planet, as a, as a civilization, but certainly as educators and do something right and do something better. And for reasons that are beyond what we could even unpack in one episode, the opportunity was missed in a lot of important ways, and we're gonna continue to just keep fighting the good fight until until justice is done. So, yeah, yeah, man, um, yeah, and and I think also I would just say, you know, to to everyone, really. I mean, at the risk of being cliche or something, but like. Uh, we've all been through a lot over the last three years, and for those who are here and still, you know, still standing and still making your way ahead the best you can, uh, you know, pat pat yourself on the back, man. We have, like, we have been through some stuff <laughs> in, for real in the last three years, and like someday there'll be books about it and that sort of thing. But like for now, man, your survival is an act of defiance. Hey, I'm glad you said that, man. For real, for real. Uh, hugs to everybody out there, everybody in the AOTA family. Those of y'all that were been with us since before that, that uh, all of that, and those who joined us um, since then. And yeah, man, we've been through it, man. We've really been through it. So definitely continue to give yourself some love and appreciation and some grace, man, because... Yeah. All of the things, Jeff, it's difficult. It's difficult. But we got a story that is it's not an uplifting story. I mean, <laughs> a, few, a few stories in education well, right now I, are uplifting, you know, but I think it's not a bad story. It, yeah, yeah, it, depends. It. it depends on how you yeah. look at it, right? So right. clearly, True. you know, everybody who follows the show knows like some nonsense is going on in many states across the country with uh you know suppression of academic freedom with passing of laws that you know ban discussions of you know history and uh, these sorts of things and there's also a resurgent current 
kind of happening alongside this of anti-LGBTQ laws, right? Um, and so a lot of that has been focused on trans youth in particular. They're the sort of favorite right-wing lightning rod right now with, you know, banning gender-affirming health care and, you know, passing laws that require parents to be informed about, you know, private things and, you know, just, just it's, it's a... It's a way to weaponize, you know, policy against a, a marginalized community, right? Um, and so in the midst of that, there's this article uh, that we got from NBC News um, titled Students Switch Up College Plans as States Pass Anti-LGBTQ uh, anti Laws. Uh, this was written by Rose Horowitz. And a uh, really fascinating piece, Manuel, because it's, um, it's highlighting how kids and families are looking at the marketplace, so to speak, of states uh, and the state, the colleges in those states that are now having to carry out oppressive laws and policies or where the safety of young people could, is, could be called into question in a, you know, in a state where vile, hateful things are being said by, you know, by political leaders and the climate of, you know, potential violence against these folks or other kinds of things, you know, is, is certainly worth wondering about <laughs> and potentially worth changing your plans for college and saying, like, I'm not going to go to my home state university because my home state is going to make college an unsafe place for me. So interesting, like, you know, and through the lens of capitalism or whatever, we love markets and consumer choice. Well, I guess consumers are making some, you know, some choices to say, I don't like your bitter, hateful, anti-LGBTQ laws and your racist laws, and I'm going to go somewhere else. So, uh, so I, you know, I thought this was really fascinating. Um, the, the article talks about, you know, how interviews with students, parents, and college counselors are suggesting that LGBTQ young people are sh uh, striking colleges in states where such legislation um, is being pushed. Some students worry about having access to hormone therapy while away at school. Some want to attend schools with all-gender housing options, and others are fearing hostile rhetoric puts them at a heightened risk of physical violence. Um, Advocates say a shift in college applications from LGBTQ students could lead to diminished diversity at colleges where part of the learning experience is encountering people of different backgrounds. Um, so uh, others, like uh, Sarah Eckhart, a Democratic state senator from Texas, also caution that legislation targeting LGBTQ rights could stifle academic research and harm the state's economy. Um, and, you know, it's funny, Manuel, because I think we've had a couple of conversations that like have danced around or spoken about components of this where we've said things like, well, if Florida is not going to teach history, like real history, then maybe colleges and universities should look at high school graduates from Florida and say, like, you need to take this remedial non-credit bearing history course because we don't think you actually have met the, you know, the requirements right. for admission, right? And I wonder, and this is sort of a similar critical lens being applied to the equation, um, but, but, you know, but on the side of kids and families being like, well, your school is not going to be a good fit for me because you have laws that hate me and dehumanize me and I'm not going to go to your school as a result. Um, you know, it does make me... 
wonder, Manuel, like what's the what's the long-term outcome we could potentially see here, right? Like could we start seeing uh, a, you know, a sort of exodus of certain populations from certain states um, or at least through the lens of higher education, uh, you know, and a concentrating of populations in other places because of the hostile conditions, you know, that are that are being put into place. Like, are there going to be no more, uh, you know, African-American studies departments in colleges in Florida? You know what I mean? And like, where are those folks going to go? <laughs> Will we just have bigger departments, you know, in, in states that don't have these kinds of laws on the books? Or like, what, what's the... What's the end result here, right? Um, so, I, you know, I find it fascinating from that standpoint of like the, you know, the power uh, in these equations rests with the people. And, you know, folks can make choices to not participate in systems that are, you know, that are problematic in these ways. Um, and what will the impact of that be on the, you know, in a field like higher ed that is so... Uh, based on prestige and reputation, right, and things like U.S. News and World Reports rankings, right? Right. Um, what's What's it going to do to your rankings if word on the street is that like your state is hostile to LGBTQ folks and your state is racist and has white supremacist curriculum, like, and top applicants, you yeah. know, go there less frequently. Right? Like, what's that going to mean? Uh, so these yeah. are, like, really interesting questions, I think. Yeah, no, you're right. And uh, that, to me, is why this isn't a good story. Because it's like, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, you know, let's stick it to them. Show them. Like, you know, if you're not valuing my humanity and seeing me and allowing me to feel safe on your college campus, then I'm, I'm going to go out of stand. I'm going to go to another college. But then it's like, would they care? Like, do these law, these bigoted, prejudiced, racist lawmakers, do they care? Like, they're probably happy about this. They're probably like, yeah, go ahead, go on. We don't, we actually don't want you here. And then, uh, you know, that makes me worry about the long-term repercussions in terms of like those areas just becoming more extreme and more steadfast in their uh, right-wing extremism. And, you know, that can't be, you know, that can't be the long-term solution, right? And then I'm feeling for those students because you're right. Like, we did bring up the, the notion that well, if you are going to come to a California college or university, for example, and your history course was a history course in Florida, then yeah, you maybe should have some kind of um, remedial history or something that you got to take because we're, we're not going to recognize that BS history that you got out there under DeSantis because that's not real history. So if you want to come to our university, you're going to have to do, but it's like, you know, that's just, you know, that's adding more onto the students and the students are already, you know, it's already so difficult for them to navigate that education system that is, you know, so much more under attack um, in their home state. And, you know, if, if, if you have students coming to California, a student mentioned in the story, you know, want, considering coming to California for college um, so that he could feel more safe and secure on campus and take uh, courses uh, in, you know, gender um, studies that won't be, you know, targeted by the state and possibly shut down and in this and that before he graduates. But so then it's like, you know, I, I want to be welcoming towards, towards those young folks for sure. So it's just like... Um, I don't know. It's it's tough. It's it's just tough, man. It's tough because yeah, I I I am worried that 
marginalized populations leaving Texas or leaving Florida for college um, only will serve to to make those right wing folks happy and make them want to go even harder in their directions. And those students leaving and coming to universities across uh, state lines, like not everybody could do that. Like it takes a, a, a certain level of of um, economic privilege and, and other things to be able to even do that. So what about those students who don't have that option um, as they're left behind as things get more extreme? So I'm thinking about them also. And that makes me think if if there's really going to be some sort of pressure, like market pressure, so-called, for lack of a better t- uh, word, on these states to make sure that their universities don't do this, that to make sure that their universities don't or university systems don't lose students um, from marginalized populations. I think, honestly, that pressure is going to have to come from, I'm sorry to say this, but I think it'll have to come from the corporate world because I think those politicians aren't going to care. Like DeSantis isn't going to care. If queer students are leaving Florida, hell, he'll probably brag about it uh, during his presidential run. But if companies um, add to their you know, um, hiring requirements and this and that, like college degree, but it has to be a college degree, um, from, you know, if they, if they stipulate that they're not going to value degrees from a place like Florida that is, is trying to attack its university, university system and, um, make it fully just right-wing indoctrination, then maybe the states would respond because then, you know, of course you start messing with people's ability to get hired and start messing with the money, then folks would respond. So, you know, maybe, but you know, corporate America, they're not going to care. They're not going to do anything. So, it's just frustrating seeing students have to be the ones to like try to scramble just to arrive at a campus where they could at least feel safe and possibly feel seen and study study uh, courses around race and, and gender and uh, and not feel like that's going to be under attack. It's just uh man, I'm just I don't I'm just it just angers me, it just angers me the ongoing um, pain that's being inflicted on our young people. Um, through all this right wing BS, yeah, I, I that is extremely well said, Manuel. And you know, for some reason, it's making me think of uh, the story from a couple months ago um, when they discovered. For those who are football fans, this will resonate. But when they discovered that um, Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, who's from Arkansas, was in one of the you know, old pictures taken by whoever um, at the time at like a rally outside of school, you know, like opposing integration of the schools uh, where right. he grew up. Right. And I, I'm probably clunkily saying this, but basically it's like one of those pictures with a gang of white folks getting all mobby and rioty, like threatening to kill. <laughs> mobby and rioty. Yeah, man, <laughs> threatening it. to kill an innocent <laughs> black child trying to go to school, right? Like physically standing in the way and, right? And it's like, it's just as, it's as evil and racist as you, as you think in your head when I say that. And, um, and it was like, we, we had, it was a beautiful story from the standpoint of, I think it was, it, it, um, causes the kind of cognitive dissonance that America is so bad at dealing with, where we're where we look at rich old white men like Jerry Jones, 
you know, and they they give money to the United Way or whatever when there's an earthquake or something, right? And they <laughs> they like have charities and give free free museum nights in Dallas or something. But like these people have history. These these are the people who stood in the doorway to prevent little black boys and little black girls from getting you know access to an education. These are yep. the people who, and they knew the newspapers were there taking pictures, right? And they were proudly out front, like, nah, we're going to, we want, this is ours. This is a, a source of our power. We want to keep you subjugated, not having access to a fair and equitable education. And we don't care if they take pictures of us. We don't care if the cops are here. The cops are with us. And this oppressive enterprise, right? And where I'm right. going with this, Manuel, is like, I feel like we're seeing right now another manifestation of this, right? Like, the um, probably these kinds of attacks are like a little, they're like a little further ahead or something when it comes to LGBTQ folks, right? Like, they're, you know, they're doing these immediately life-threatening kinds of things to them, right? Like we know that trans kids not having access to gender-affirming healthcare leads to death. And so, you know, whereas like banning African-American studies, it's like, yeah, it's, it leads to like spiritual death <laughs> slower or something, right? Um, and so, but, the, but these same kind of dynamics, right, of like these vicious politicians, you know, Ron DeSantis, no different than the Orville Faubuses and the George Wallaces, you know, of the past, right? Who stood in the schoolhouse door, who said things like, you know, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever, right? Um, and like you said, are, we'll probably look at this story and be like, Thank God all those, you know, blank kids we don't like, and I'm sure they'd say something mean and hateful in the blank. Of course. Uh, you know, of course. and all their indoctrinating wokeness are going somewhere else. So I think we have a moment, though, Manuel, to, like, have some accountability uh, for, you know, for those folks, right? Like, what what does accountability look like for the people and the politicians who are, causing these students and families noted in this article uh, to have to think like this, right? Like the article ends yeah. with uh, talking about this parent, um, uh, Cindy, who's the mother of a child who is gay, um, and said she's considering sending Cody to school in Michigan where his sisters live and feels he'd be safer there. It has definitely been put on the table, she said. As much as I don't want to see him move across the country for his safety, I might have to. Now, I, you know, I, I don't know exactly how we do this, Manuel, but I feel like the, the documenting, the sharing, the like we need some art done about this, like songs, movies, pictures, sculptures, things to raise in the public consciousness, along with good articles, right, um, or books or stories or whatever, to just cement for people that, like, what is being used as, as political, you know, devices to wedge between people to, you know, gin up hate and uh, give people a false enemy that they can feel empowered to oppress, you know, or these sorts of things, that like there's a very real cost to this. And this very real cost is being borne by your neighbors, 
right? And yeah. uh, and the fact that we're using the institution of school, which is an institution that is among the most universal in our societies that everyone has to touch, that is supposed to be the great giver of opportunity, uh, in you know in our society, that we are you know we're striking at the very foundation of of our national identity and our, you know, our, like, who do we want to be? Right. Um, and so I, I appreciate that people are using the agency they have in the equation here to make the right choices for them and their kids. And I feel like we got to do everything we can to like shine a light on this and, and let people know that like, oh, so you support this kind of stuff. What you support is, Mothers having to be fearful about where they send their gay sons to college because they're worried he will be physically harmed uh, in going to his home university school. Right. Yeah. Like that's what you support. And and we're not going to let you like sugarcoat it and, and you know, make it pretty. We're just going to let you like sit with the ugliness. Right. Um, You know, and of course, there's lots of other fronts in the movement and struggle for justice and stuff here. But I just mean, like, I don't know. It strikes different when it's like kids in school that can't go to school. You know what I mean? Like there's there's something like it hits me. hits me with that, man. Yeah. And this is all so like when you you know, so much has happened. And just as a reminder, like we were talking about the three year mark of um COVID shutting down the school system, um, shutting down, you know, loose, loosely termed, because of course, we're still working um, very, mu- very much through that. Um, but like, what we're seeing here, these attacks, these open attacks on, on education, specifically on our LGBTQ plus community, on black and brown students, on books, on curriculum, on, you know, so-called woke teachers, all of that is part of the response to what happened that summer after the lockdown started, which was, uh, you know, massive national protests in the wake of the murders of, uh, you know, Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and, and George Floyd. So this is all part of that. And, you know, sometimes, I often catch myself using the term backlash because, you know, this is like backlash, but, you know, backlash sort of implies like a, a equal reaction, like an equal and opposite reaction. Like we went, we took, you know, three steps this way. So now we're taking three steps back that way, but it's, it's not equal. Like what's being done now, it's so, so much more in a, a, a hateful, racist, um, backwards direction than any any kind of, you know, superficial gains that were made in 2020. Like, yeah, we had diversity statements and we had this and we had that. But now we got books being banned, like Toni Morrison, Bluest Eye being banned. And we have, uh, you know, in this case, students needing to to consider moving out of their states because they don't feel safe uh, being being queer and going to college, college in their state. So it's it's like the the backlash is so much more than a backlash. And these attacks are so, so vicious. And so much has happened that I catch myself sort of losing sight of it because you almost get you almost become used to it. So it's like, oh, here's another thing. Oh, here's another thing. Oh, look at this wild thing. And if you just step back and look at it it's just so so clear that we should be in the streets over this like in the united states of america to have massive amounts of books being banned for merely touching on in the lightest little way uh, america's history of racism um like just like we should be in the streets over this over the fact that young people don't feel safe going to college in this case college in their own state 
like this is something that is just it's remarkable how much has been accomplished by the hateful bigoted folks in in the service of white power in this country and like we're still like talking about it like it's just it's you know I don't know. I was listening to a sports podcast, not even about this at all. And, you know, Bomani Jones, for those interested. And he, you know, one of the, you know, briefly touched on a story about books being banned. And he was like, yo, like, how are we not in the streets over this? Like, when you really think about Fahrenheit 451, you really think about how for so many decades, like, you know, it was clear in the United States that like book burning is something that we don't do here. That book burning, that's only associated with like evil empires. And like, here we are banning books. Like, how are we not in the street? And, you know, hearing that, I'm just like, you know, I've heard other folks, you know, uh, you know, shout out to um, Gerardo Munoz. He had uh, mentioned something about a general strike. And it's just like, how are we not talking about that? How are we still reacting to these stories as they keep coming out? Like, how are we as educators, as classroom teachers, not unified in saying like, yo, come this March, whatever, uh, you know, March or May, whatever, come this date, we are all taken to the streets because these folks are gone too far in attacking our young people and attacking our school systems. Like it's just, um, it's infuriating, especially when thinking about how all of this came about as a, you know, quote unquote response to peaceful, largely peaceful protests across the nation in the summer of 2020. And by the way, there's been all these stories coming out since the summer of 2020 showing how so much of the so-called violence, of the um, fires that were set and all this were actually done by right-wing folks trying to instigate and incite violence as a way to, um, you know, just further um, make these protests look like something that they weren't. So, yeah, oh, it's all so frustrating when you think about it all, man. It's just, oh, man, uh, let, let me know, folks. Someone let me know. Like, is, are there folks organizing and planning to take to the streets over this, man? I feel like this is, this is, um, it requires so much more, so much more than us talking about it and tweeting about it. Like, man, well, these- this, is, uh, this is unacceptable. Yeah, I, I would say, Manuel, I think we're, we're living in like very revolutionary times uh, right now where the, you know, thing, things may be ebbing and flowing and whatnot, but there is, um, you know, we're, we're sort of teetering on the precipice at any given moment, right, where things, things are too untenable in too many aspects of life. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, to, so... There is certainly a demoralizing component of watching our right-wing adversaries carry out this agenda and weaponize school and education in this way, you know, especially, right? And and to watch the, like, total ineptitude of the, like, liberal politician folks in, in opposing it in any way. Um, and... There, like the other side of that coin, is how threatened those folks are by what took place really over just the course of like a couple of months of organized action in in 2020, right? <laughs> like a couple of months of that, and they're like, "Oh hell no, we gotta go full fascism," <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. yep. Um, and. In as much as that is deeply concerning and like there's books, libraries being covered up and, you know, folks getting reported to the state and all the red flags of fascist behavior happening through education right now uh, in many parts of the country. There's also hopefully for us the realization that like 
uh, they're scared of what they saw from us, uh, you know, in 2020. And that is why they are so virulently behaving this way, right? Um, and it doesn't make it any less dangerous, <laughs> but, it, but it maybe tells us the power that we do have at our disposal when we are organized, right? Because they are deeply, deeply afraid uh, of, you know, of, of like getting their comeuppance, you know? And so hopefully there's a lesson in that for us, you know what I mean? That like, it, it isn't even going to take all that much. I mean, I, I hesitate to say that because it sounds so crazy given the amount of work from activists and organizers and regular people. Uh, but like, it's, it's, it, it won't take that much to push back <laughs> against these kinds of things, uh, you know, and, and to say, hell no, we, we will not put up for this, uh, put up with this, you know. Um, and, and it is that we have that power. Yeah, we do have that power. We absolutely do. Um, I don't know. We are coming up on the 100th full episode of All of the Above for a video episode. And we'll have a super dope educator uh, who currently lives in Florida join us for that. And um, I don't know, Jeff, hopefully... Hopefully sometime soon, hopefully sometime soon, we'll have some passing periods and some episodes reporting on the massive national demonstrations taking place uh, to respond to and shut down uh, this right wing extremism that is threatening our, this threatening everything, uh, in particular, the lives of our most marginalized folks, because we cannot, I, we just, it just can't keep going on like this. It just can't, it just can't. Um, so there. All right. All right, folks. Um, Jeff, anything else before we get out of here? Because, man, I feel like I need to step away, watch some college basketball and try to distract myself from all of the things, all of the attacks on on our good people, man. Yeah. Anything man. else before we get up out of here? Nah, I'm jet lagged. I need to go take a nap, man. <laughs> I figure. <laughs> I figure. Uh, I figure. All right, folks. Well, well, uh, like we said at the top, we, we, we will be back next week with a full episode featuring Dr. Charlie Kemp, who went to Spelman, and then USC, and then Harvard. It's like super phenomenal, phenomenal um, young woman out here um, making, making waves in education, and, and uh, she's going to help us explore the, the equity issues with regards to after-school programming and extracurriculars and all of that good stuff. So definitely tune in next week. We will be, uh, we'll be here with that full episode. Um, AOTAshow.com, AOTAshow.com for all the previous stuff and all, all, all the things. You know, you know the deal by now. You know the deal. Um, but do remember, we here at All of the Above. We love y'all. We hope you're taking care of yourselves. Um, shout out to everybody who's been with us during these last three years through as we march through what felt like the impossible and it was as we continue to fight for uh, justice and all that. So three years since school system closed and here we are still, still trying to wrap our heads around it and do what's right. So shout out to all of y'all. Remember, we love y'all. And now it's time for you to go ahead and get to class.